There was a man in Florida, of all places. He owned an orange grove, a big orange grove. And it was the season, the harvest was ready. And so his foreman came to him and he said, Boss, we have a problem. We don't have as many seasonal workers this year as we did last year. We need some extra help. And the boss said, okay, we'll go get some extra help. He said, well, there's another problem. There's a freeze coming in. We got to get the oranges off before the freeze gets here or you're going to lose a lot of your crops. So the man who wants to save his investment did what any wise business owner would do. And he went into town and he looked for people who weren't working. And he said, hey, you three, you're not working. You come work for me and I'll pay you $100 a day. $100 a day. So they said, sure. All right, you three stand up. You three stand, not you. You don't, no, no, no. They're working to bring you the 300 bucks. Come on. I look, I've only got an hour. You guys are going to make this take a while. So, so these guys showed up and he went over. He saw some other handsome, young, strapping men. And he said, you, sir, please, I need you to come and work for me. I reeled you guys in on that one, didn't I? But seriously, we need you too. I need, I need all five of you, you four and Scott. Yeah. All right. And I'm going to pay you 100 bucks. You're going to come. You're going to help get these oranges picked. And so you guys are working. And about four hours later, the foreman comes in. He says to the owner, he says, hey, boss, we got a problem. We are not going to get done. We have got to get more workers. So he went into town again. He said, you two guys, you're not working yet. It's midday. I need you to work. I'll pay you a fair wage. You work for me. They said, sure thing. And he said, you, you need to work. Your wife said so. Yeah. And so... So he's got these guys are working. So now all these guys are working for him. And, and it's a good thing. But the foreman comes to him and he says, hey, boss, we're not going to make it. I need you to go into town. We need to get some more people to get these oranges in. The trucks are coming in. And so he said, hey, I need you guys. And they said, you know what? It's almost, it's the, the day is half gone. And he said, you come work for me. I'll pay you a fair wage. And these three men said, sure. sure. So stand up. They're going to work for me. So these three men are working. And they're working hard. And, and, and the, the, you know, this guy's thinking, this is going good. I got all these extra guys. We're, we're getting the oranges picked. And the foreman comes. He said, boss, we got about an hour left. We're not going to make it. And so the boss went back into town. He said, why aren't you working yet? And the young man said, nobody's asked me. Say, nobody's asked me. Well, come work for me, and I'll pay you a fair wage. So stand up. You get to work. I'm going to need you to work, Okay. Hey, will you work? I'll pay you well. Don, will you work? Okay. Dave, wake him up. Dave, I need you to work. Martin, Martin, will you work for me for the day? One hour left in the day. Will you work? Awesome. All right, so I got, I got all these guys working. And then the foreman comes in. He says, boss, guess what? And of course, because obviously I'm the boss. I said, what? He said, we did it. We got all the oranges picked. Yes, it's celebration. So, Billy, I need you, Billy. I need you. Yeah, come on. You're going to be the foreman real quick. Let's see here. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, here we go. All right, there we go. Take those out and keep those for myself. I'm going to need you. Well, they are. Um, we're going to pretend that these are $100 bills. Wow. Uh, it was real sketchy making $5 bills this big. Uh, <laughs> Good thing you didn't make 100 Right. And so I'm going to need you to start All with right. the last guys, and everybody gets the same amount. I need you to pay those guys. Yeah, that work. Yeah. So they're going to get their 100. Uh, pass one. There you go. Yeah. 
I think we have enough. Pay. This guy gets his. He gets his five. Yeah, he gets his hundred. He gets one. I know you worked hard. Thank you. Here, I'll, I'll get these two guys just because we only got a limited amount of time. Here you go, gentlemen. There's, there's one for each of you. That's a, a crisp $100 bill. Um, and, uh-oh, pretend, pretend like I gave you guys some. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not a good manager of money because I ran out, but there you go. Here's yours. There's yours. I, oh, thank you. Here, give me that. You don't get that. Martin, I'm going to pay you for working for me, Martin. Oh, Martin got one. Who didn't get one? Oh, these, these were my, hold on, my first guys. Let's pretend, I'm just going to give this to you. you. Let's pretend there's three of those. And they're, all right, you all go ahead and have a seat. What, Rick? I, I know, it's okay. That's good. Now, obviously, I don't own an, own an orange grove. You all don't work for me, and you're probably glad of it. <laughs> and some of you are probably thinking, this sounds an awful lot like a parable that I may have heard in the Bible. Minus the oranges and the frost and the large $5 bills that are supposed to be $100 bills. You see, in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. There are several lessons we can learn here from this parable. But there's one lesson that I wanted to kick off this series with. And it's really been on my mind a lot. And it's this. Our God is full of grace. And He is merciful. He's compassionate. He is loving. And He is willing to receive those who will come to Him at any time. You see in that parable, the, the workers who worked all day, these, these first six or seven guys, in the parable they start complaining because the last people got the same amount that they did. And the landowner said, hey, that's my money. I can be gracious with my money to anybody that I want to. We agreed on something. We agreed on $100 for a day's work. And I went to the next people, and we agreed on $100. And then the later people, I said, I will pay you a fair price. And he did. You see, whether it's early in their lifetime or later in life, I have learned that our God is willing to receive those who will come to Him at any time. Amen. It's not my right to judge. It's not my right to complain or to grumble about what God does. You see, the secret to understanding mercy and grace is this. Instead of being jealous or upset that our God would extend His mercy and grace to others, we should be glad and rejoice in the mercy and the grace that He has extended to us. We could stop right here, but I've got a lot more to share with you. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the examples that your son set for us about mercy and grace, about your love, about your compassion, how we should strive to have a reflection of those things in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at what mercy and grace are. We won't just see more words and, and more definitions, but we'll see how we can put them into action, how we can offer them maybe to ourselves, maybe to others. 
whether it's family or co-workers or people at school, Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts to truly grasp mercy and grace as we look into it, not only this Sunday, but as we look at the secrets of mercy and grace this month. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So what exactly is mercy and grace? Is it $100 bills? No, it's not. And what's, what's the secret of grace and mercy? I'm going to let you in on a secret. Some of you have been sitting there all morning and you've been looking at our word wall and you're like, what word is that that starts with a giant T? The T is silent. It's actually the cross, right? Doesn't have anything to do with the word, in case you were wondering. Sometimes we incorporate that. So I just wanted to clear that up for you. The word here is the Greek word for grace. And on the count of three, I want you all to say it for me. One, two, three. Grace. <laughs> Good job. Somebody just said grace. <laughs> okay. You have to roll, roll it all together. It's, it's kari. Kari. Say that. Kari. Yeah. I made you do it first so it wouldn't sound as funny when I did it. This word, kari, it's the Greek word for grace. You're going to get used to seeing that. Hopefully you'll get used to offering it to people this month. But what are mercy and grace? Well, for starters, mercy and grace are the opposite of karma. <laughs> I thought that was a great example. You see, karma is all about getting what you think you deserve or what you think someone else deserves. But grace and mercy are about getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. You see, the reality is what we deserve is death with no hope for resurrection. That's, that's what we deserve. While everyone desperately needs it, grace is not about us. Grace is fundamentally a word that's about God. It's uncoerced initiative. It's an extravagant demonstration of God's care and favor for us. Michael Horton writes this about grace. He says, In grace, God gives nothing less than Himself. Grace, then, is not a third thing or substance mediating between God and sinners, but it is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. I thought, oh, that's good. That's much better than Webster's definition. So mercy, then, is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So when you have the ability or the opportunity to punish or harm someone, mercy is the forgiveness shown towards them instead of punishment. And, and grace, kari, is the free, unmerited favor of God. It's, it's brought out in the salvation of sinners and the way that He bestows blessings on us. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 103 to help us begin to unfold some of the secrets of grace and mercy. We're going to start off in verse 1. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works 
righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. In the King James Version, verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. I like that word, plenteous. In the New King James Version, they changed it just a little bit more. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. I like that one too. The point is that no matter what version you use, it's pretty clear that our God is compassionate. And, and from His abundant, overflowing compassion for us comes His abounding love and mercy and grace. That in and of itself should excite you enough to change the way you treat the people around you, whether they're family or friends or enemies or fellow co-workers or people in the community or somebody that you just don't really like. If that was all the knowledge we had of God's grace and mercy, that should be enough to help us to love our enemies or our neighbors or our spouses better. Let's go on and look at mercy and grace in verse 9. It says, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Remember those definitions. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Are you hearing this? That, that could almost be a praise song. Oh, sorry. <laughs> God's grace and mercy are infinite. His grace is indescribable. His mercy is incomprehensible. It's other big wordsable, whatever words you want to use. If I were to use one word to describe God's grace and mercy for us, it would have to be supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Because according to what I've learned, it's a word you use when you don't know what else to say about how great something is. But for some reason, the real-life concept of grace and mercy are hard to grasp. Unless you're the one who needs to receive grace and mercy at the moment, then we grasp it fully. <laughs> I remember one time when Dylan was little, and I don't even remember what he had done. But in our house, the rule was that crime would, punishment would fit the crime. And so if he did something that was a physical altercation with someone, that would mean that he would get smacked on the bottom with a paddle. And whatever he did, it, it, it warranted that he was going to have a couple of smacks on his bottom with a paddle. And the best part about this whole punishment is that he had to go get the paddle. And he had to bring it to me. It, it held the bedroom door open. And, and I remember he, he walked back, and he was only like five, maybe six, he, huh? Four, yeah, he wasn't real old. He was old enough to know better. And, and before you start thinking, I wasn't just hammering on my son, you know, didn't have nails and stuff in it, but I was very calm. He goes, and he, he's coming back with the paddle, and he's walking down the hallway, and he's already crying, and, he, and he's already, the tears are coming, and... And he hands me the paddle. I remember him saying, What about grace? 
So somebody had to be punished. So I said, Mitzi, get up. No, I'm kidding. We didn't do that. Um, but I did. I had him lay over the footstool. I said, don't you move. Don't you move. And, and I hit the footstool twice with the paddle. And you would have still thought that I just beat him <laughs> within an inch of his life. The lesson was learned, both about grace and about what he had done at school that deserved that. And, and the whole point of that is, like I said right here, it's hard to grasp mercy and grace unless you're the one who needs to receive it at the moment. We don't often like to just give mercy and grace even though we know we should. And maybe I can explain it to you this way also. You see, the secret of mercy and grace, if you look at it this way, logically speaking, if it weren't for grace and for mercy, we would all go to hell. You see, Jesus' death on the cross would have no meaning without, without mercy and grace. If it weren't for God's inviting mercy, logically speaking, no one would ever hear the gospel message. You see, we're invited to hear it, and then once we've heard it, we're invited to go and share it. And so logically speaking, if it weren't for mercy, no one would ever hear the gospel. If it weren't for God's saving grace and mercy, none of our prayers would be heard. Why would he have to listen? Because what are we usually asking for when we're praying, if we're honest? (laughs) Grace and mercy. (laughs) Lord, I did it again. Please forgive me. Logically speaking, if it weren't for God's upholding mercy, none of us would be able to live a Christian life. Because part of of being a Christian is the knowledge that our God restores us. He does that through mercy and grace. If it weren't for God's consoling mercy, we would all be swallowed up and consumed by grief. Scripture tells us we will not go through life alone. And I can tell you this, grieving with God is better than grieving without Him. You know, if it weren't for God's everlasting grace and mercy, no one would ever go to heaven. Again, Jesus' death on the cross, logically speaking, His resurrection, that's the physical proof of God's grace and mercy towards us. And if it weren't for those things... None of these things would be a part of our lives. And even today, God shows His grace and His mercy towards us in many ways. I want to look at some of those ways that He shows us grace and mercy. One of the ways He shows us grace and mercy is in regard to His anger. And you think, well, how has He showed grace and mercy in His anger? Well, verse 8 tells us He is slow to anger patient and long-suffering. Actually, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. God's anger could be so much more than what it is. He doesn't jump on every violation against Him. He He doesn't look for opportunities to discipline us. He looks for opportunities to lift us up and to restore us when we've done something stupid. Verse 9 says, He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. And when you put verse 8 and 9 together, it reminds us that our God holds no grudges when we're repentant. In regard to our sins, He can't deal with our sins 
Because he already did. He already dealt with our sin with Christ's death on the cross. Verse 10 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And for us today, that's because he's already dealt with sin. Christ took care of that for us. And when we are repentant, verse 12 reminds us that he removes and forgets our sin as far as the east is to the west. You know, the one thing we don't like about God's grace and mercy, it demands a response from us. We like grace and mercy, but we don't like that it demands a response for us. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says in, in Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. You see, this verse tells us that all men know something about God's mercy, but especially his people know his mercy. When you go on and you look at verse 13, verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 14, For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Verse 15, The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows, it, blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. And verse 17 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness is with their children's children, with those who keep His covenant See, there's your response. Fear Him and keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. That's your response to grace and mercy. Requires us to fear Him, to keep His covenant, to remember His precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. You see, God's grace and mercy is everlasting. It transcends time and space, but it is conditional on what you're willing to do for it. And verse 17 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who fear him. A while back, I talked about why we should fear God. Verse 18 says that God's grace and mercy is conditional even among those that love him. His grace and mercy goes to those who live within his covenant and keep his commands. Do you know the difference between a covenant and a contract? There's always loopholes in a contract. A contract is what you get out of something. And a covenant is what you put into it. I encourage you to look up how covenants worked in the Old Testament because it's pretty amazing. The way you live your life right now is how you're acting out the covenant you made with God when you were baptized and when you became a Christian. I was reading a blog on the internet. as a site called George's Journal. Pretty basic, you would think. But he had this great illustration about mercy and grace, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. He says it like this. He says, 
Everybody's familiar with the mercy rule used in sports. In baseball especially, it's, it's an act of mercy. And if you've ever seen some of those Little League games before the mercy rule was incorporated, back when I was a kid, a team could beat you 47 to nothing and you played every inning. And it was horrible. And all you got out of it was like a grape snow cone and shame. Because the winning team got their snow cones first and they used up all the cherry. So it was just bad. But the mercy rule comes out, and, and once a team gets such a lead that there's no way, it's really a nice way of saying thanks for showing up while we had batting practice, okay? <laughs> they call it the mercy rule, and it stops the game before too much humiliation happens. One of the acts of mercy in the Bible, though, is when an offender or an enemy is forgiven or pardoned by withholding punishment. The woman that was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. And, and they said, we caught this woman in adultery. And, and the law says we should stone her. What, should, what do you say we should do? I love this because Jesus didn't say anything. He wrote some things in the sand. He wrote some things in the sand. He said, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And people started walking away. And he lifts her up and he said, where are your accusers? And she said, they've gone. And he said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Grace and mercy. You can't write a better story than that. We can't make that up. She was the enemy. She sinned against Jesus. She sinned against God. And in that moment where he could have condemned her, if anyone on earth could have, he could have condemned her. And he said, I don't accuse you of anything. Go. Pardoned without, by withholding punishment. You see, according to the Bible, because we have all sinned, we deserve to die just like this woman. We deserve to face eternal judgment. Without God, we are spiritually dead. We are doomed to eternal punishment. But that's not the end of the story. God has a rescue plan. The greatest example of mercy in the Bible is God's act of mercy in forgiving and pardoning the sins of humanity. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's Psalm 32.1. Their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. You see, we see one of the secrets of God's mercy in His plan to rescue us from the death and judgment that we deserve. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sins can be forgiven because Jesus took the death penalty on our behalf. That's a great example of mercy, delivering someone from a penalty. We have a God who is rich in mercy. And what prompted God to be merciful is that He chose to act this way was all voluntary on His part. It wasn't because we deserved it. It was an example of grace, which is undeserved favor. God has done more than that for us. You see, Christians are not only rescued, they're also rewarded. Usually, only the rescuer is rewarded. You save somebody, you get a medal. The person you save doesn't get anything because they were silly, they got in trouble. But for us, we do stupid stuff. We repent and we're rewarded. You, you live your life however long it is 
doing whatever you want. You come and, and you, you give yourself over in baptism and you are rewarded. We are rewarded with eternal life in heaven. It's the only religion around where the rescued is rewarded, not the rescuer. Think about that. In this case, those who are rescued, us, we are rescued and we are rewarded. Our reward is to be resurrected, to have bodies that will not die. Our reward is to be with God eternally in a world without sin. Our reward is to get to, to be there at the throne singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. We get rescued and we get the reward. That's the secret. That's the example of grace. Receiving a gift beyond our wildest expectations. They say that mercy and grace are the two sides of the same coin. You see the coin, the two sides are different with respect to what they look like. The inscription, if you have a coin in your pocket, take it out, look at it. There's probably an eagle on one side if it's a quarter. There's my picture on the other. No, maybe not. Uh, But they're different. But they're similar because they're sharing the metal that comprises the coin. So they share a difference and they share a similarity. And this is mercy and grace, two sides of the same coin. They're different because mercy is God not punishing us for the sin, not punishing us for the sin because we deserve it. And grace is God rewarding us with eternal life, although we don't deserve it. And it can get kind of confusing, but grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Mercy is deliverance from judgment. Grace is favor to, to those of us who are unworthy. Mercy and grace are two essential components to God's plan. They're both gifts that cannot be earned, but they are received through Jesus Christ. In this way, mercy and grace are two sides of the same coin. There's no more of God's grace and mercy than all that has been used. Do you understand that? We can never use it up. God's grace and mercy challenges us. It seems that it's most bestowed when there is the most wrong and it's most beneficial where there is obedience. And I got to tell you, we've just scratched the surface of revealing the secrets of and mercy. It's hard to say. (laughs) But this month, we're going to look at these two things in action. And each week we're going to look deeper into mercy and grace. But what you need to understand for today is that because God has showered you in many ways with His grace and mercy, it's now expected of you, Christian, to offer those gifts to the other people that are in your life. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what you need to do in order to offer grace and mercy to the people in your life. Maybe there are people in this room that you need to extend grace and mercy to. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe kids, it's your parents. Maybe grandparents, it's your grandchildren. They've done something. I don't know. Maybe it's your Sunday school class or someone from your Sunday school class or your small group. Maybe you need to extend mercy and grace to the elders and the staff here at Huntsville Christian Church. Maybe it's just somebody at work. Maybe for you to extend grace and mercy to others You need to first receive it yourself from Jesus Christ by submitting your life to Him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're a Christian and you've just been struggling with 
offering grace to people and you just need to pray with the elders to repent of something and or maybe you just would like strength prayer for strength and for courage so that you can offer someone grace and mercy the elders are here they'd love to pray with you whatever your response is to god's word about grace and mercy this morning will you stand and sing our response song and even if you don't come forward my prayer is that each one of us will respond this week by offering grace and mercy to someone Will you sing this response song with us?